3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX
1: and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now Mike Miller on KMOX.
4: I like that theme song, but I wish there were some Blue Jay sounds in there. A little bit uh, besides those nice Twitter birds. Why? I like Blue Jays. Oh. Because they're it- tough.
5: We've had, they are, they are, and they're big and they're right. loud. Exactly. Yes, but they're beautiful.
4: And they scare hawks and everything else.
5: They do. They, they are, uh, they're some of the, the, the bullies of the, the feeders for exactly. sure.
4: Exactly. But, uh, I have a question for you. I yes. see you're still working, yes. but if you were thinking about summertime and a fruit in the summertime, what would you think that would be?
5: Uh, summertime well, fruit. watermelon is exactly. as good as it gets. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let Although I like a-
4: cantaloupe. Uh, no, no. I yeah. like cantaloupe more than watermelon myself, but yeah. here. Watermelon is the chief of the world's luxuries, king by the grace of God over all the fruits of the earth. When one has tasted it, he knows what the angels eat. Now, that's a real quote. Wow. So who, who do you think made that quote? Uh, Albert Einstein. Close. Mark Twain.
6: Oh, that was close. <laughs> they look alike,
4: kind of. Wow. Can you imagine that? To no. come up with something like so that. So
5: poetic about a watermelon. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know what? He must have had it the way I like it with tequila with it.
4: Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah then you're going, oh, I love you, watermelon. Oh, I love you, but watermelon. But anyway, later on today, yeah. I'm going to have some uh, watermelon trivia that I'm going to share oh. with the listeners. Here's
5: a question for you. Okay. You have seedless watermelons. Yes. What happens when you eat the last one?
4: Well, that's it. I know. There's no seeds. I know. I don't know how uh, they do that.
5: I don't either. Mm. You'll have to do some research on that. You're you're the, the <laughs> watermelon guy.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I
5: left him speechless, Alex. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, uh.
4: <laughs> and oh, here here's one of the trivia things. Uh, let's see. Where is that? um, Well, I'll just wait. Contrary to popular belief, swallowing watermelon seeds is not harmful, and they do not increase the risk of developing appendicitis. They don't. No. Did you ever hear, you know, growing up, of eating watermelon seeds would give you appendicitis? Really, Alex is saying yes.
5: Yeah, which happened. That's what I'm blaming this on. But No, I never heard that one. Yeah,
4: that was a good one.
5: So, so we can go ahead and eat the seeds, too?
4: Yeah. Oh, good. The seeds. All right.
5: Got a little chewy to it. Great. A little crunch. Well, thanks. You're welcome.
4: Yes, folks, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, concerns, or ideas. This is Saturday morning and we have a discussion about your yards, your backyard, your front yard, your side yard, or that specialty garden space. What's wrong? How come some of the flowers don't, uh, guess what, get pollinated and don't grow fruit? Like cucumbers. Anything in the cucumber family, they actually have two different flowers, male and female. So it's a female that gets pollinated and will actually grow the fruit. The male flower just drops off after it pollinates. So those are the kind of things we can discuss. How to improve your soil, whether you should be shearing or pruning anything at all. What are those bugs and what is the storms? How, what kind of damage is happening? And uh, hopefully the information we share you'll use to make good decisions to orchestrate your yard to be as good as it possibly can. Because this is a tough region to be able to grow anything successfully, continuously. Wow, it's just amazing. So the final judgment is going to be yours. And by the way, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me to your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is Alex. He's the one who produces, and he answers the phone, and so all he needs to know is your first name and where you're calling from, not what you're calling about. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I come to your home and do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to come and do a walk and talk in your home, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Best to do the emails, but uh, a lot of times people call and we just go, you know, sometimes back and forth, but it's not really all that tragic. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 3344. Speaking of uh, walk and talks, this past Wednesday I was at this great farm. In O'Fallon, Illinois, the Keller Farm, it's been in the family for 160 years. Unbelievable. They're trying to transition into kind of a new mode, keeping a lot of the agricultural aspects together. But it was just really amazing. The whole family was there, the mother, the kids, some of the grandkids and things like that. It was just absolutely fantastic. So thanks to the folks at Keller Farm, for having me out. It was great to see the turkeys and the chickens and the <laughs> donkeys and all the other animals and everything else and just the historic barns and everything. So that was a great fun, a great walk and talk in Keller Farms and O'Fallon. And today's good Gardening stroll. Well, Broadway and Clark, Cardinal Nation, Ballpark Village, Bush Stadium all come together. The sidewalk and the sidewalk in front of Bush State and bricks, naming donations or donators. And Granite Stones etched with highlights, like one of the highlights was October 15th, 1964. Cards beat Yankees, Game 7 of the World Series. And Bob Gibson was named MVP of the World Series that year. Next, May 1966, Bush Memorials opens. So you keep going, and there's all kinds of other ones as well. Also, as you're walking along there, the oak leaf Hydrangeas fill a, f- a lot of the planting spaces with great shade trees above. So it's really kind of just a nice setting. And uh, also surrounding that is a short black wrought iron fence, which is, has the Cardinal logo as edgers as well. And uh, outside Gate 6, that's where this is. Flowering crab apples with the small green fruits dangling. Red coleus and uh, chartreuse sweet potato vines. And blooming cannas fill those areas right outside the gate with yellow moneywort or yellow creeping jenny, depending upon. I like moneywort because wart is just the British word for plant. So yellow money plant because it looks like little coins stuck together. Yellow creeping jenny is just a little too creeping to me. But anyway... Uh, that's on both sides of Spruce Street. The Tums Building across the street, well, that provides some shade uh, this time of morning. So the morning breeze moves the foliage and flowers. Bright, sunny sky. It is baseball season, and the Cardinals have started. So I thought I'd take a walk around that part of town. Anyway, Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
4: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. A little bit later, I'm going to talk about lightning and what it does for the environment. But uh, right now, let's go to Crystal City and into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. Hi.
2: Hi. Hi. Listen, I
7: have a question about rose bushes. I have two rose bushes that this year just went out of sight. They're not the, um, the the ones that everybody gets, but I think they're floribunda. Okay. And they need to be cut back. They are just out of sight. Can I do that now with this kind of heat?
4: Yeah, I mean, roses can be pruned pretty much, and they should be on a more or less frequent basis through the entire growing season. So that means okay. you know, in the heat of the summertime as well. So just okay. m- make sure that, you know, where you're making your cuts and everything, that uh, you don't cut them back too far because of recovery and everything else. But the Floribunda varieties, aren't they one of the varieties that only flush once? Or do they flush yes, multiple yes. times? Right. No, they, no,
7: they flush once, and I mean to tell you, they really flush. Right.
4: <laughs> and so they, they're they not repeat bloomers, so you can go ahead and prune them. Just don't cut them back too severe because you want to keep <laughs> enough foliage so you can keep them healthy. Perfect. As usual. Thank you, sir. Certainly. My pleasure. And Bye-bye. anybody else? Questions? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got some lines open. Let's go to, out to St. Charles in the Doug's yard. Hi, Doug.
8: Yes, I have a question uh, about uh, volunteer Strawberries that are starting to grow all over my yard, Ooh. they don't get big enough to eat. Right. Should I be worried about getting them out?
4: If you don't, they are going to create a giant mat of st- wild strawberries. They're tiny, and I'll tell you, I mean, I was, you know, I kind of, I let's say, I hand weed most of my yard for the most part. I use some herbicides, but for the most part, I hand weed. I found a wild strawberry. It was kind of underneath my zoysia lawn. And where the core was, the center, you know, I thought, okay, I got rid of that. And then I started looking, and then it's, it had runners going out from the center of the mother plant three feet. So, I mean, these things create a huge mat. And so I would, I pulled, you know, the, the, let's say the stems, the vines, or whatever. And uh, it was just amazing how far out they went from where I found the big clump, the original clump
8: underneath a a spruce tree that i have and it's hard to get a mower in there anyway so i try to use them as a a ground cover underneath
4: certainly i mean you could certainly do that i mean they don't have any presence in the winter time but uh yeah i mean little red lights on the ground can't beat that
8: yeah they're too small to pick and eat
4: oh yeah absolutely i don't even know if they have any flavor to be honest they
8: do i've tried them oh really yeah they're so
4: (laughs) tiny Okay, thank you. (laughs) Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry.
9: Hello. Uh, Hi. Um, I just wanted to uh, make a suggestion. I learned this younger part of my life, that with soy grass, um, if you can find these days a real, that's type lawnmower, once you start cutting with a real corn, seems like that Zoysia grass really gets like a carpet rather than a rotary-type Usually, you
8: find of one of
9: I'm sorry. If you can find one of these real-type mowers, um, it really makes your Zoysia grass like a carpet.
4: Well, great. Well, thanks for the insight.
9: Yep, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. have a good day.
4: Yeah. My Zoysia, I have a battery-powered mower, and it is rotary. And uh, my, you know, my grass really does look pretty good. But uh, real mowers, I used to have one. I actually, not even motorized, just the old push type. You uh, know, well, I got too old to push it. Too late. Well, yeah, too late. Let's put it this way: too lazy to push it. Let's go over to Cheryl's yard, and she lives in O'Fallon. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Mike. Um, I would like to find a small. Um, I don't know if they're called
0: garden roses, but a more low-growing rose. For
7: full sun.
4: Probably, you know, variety-wise, I would go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and see which varieties they would recommend. But there are some miniature ones, but you don't want the miniature one. You want kind of the full-size one, only that stays close to the ground, correct? Correct. Yeah, and you can do that. And also you can go at the Missouri Botanical Garden website, the Rose Society, you can contact the members of the Rose Society and see which... And the reason why I'm saying that is because they're going to know which varieties of those low, let's say carpet-type roses, are going to do the best in this region. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, I kind of like the lower-growing ones, too. But uh, speaking of roses, recently, actually, today I'm going to head out uh, later on after the show, out to Baldwin, but they've got... Uh, a lot of knockout roses apparently they have the rose rosette. So if you do have roses that get the rose rosette, you're going to see purple stems come up, small uh, thorns all the way up the thing, and once it gets it you can't get rid of it, you got to get rid of the roses. So hopefully you don't have that and you won't have that with these carpet roses. Thanks, sure. Right, thank you. Sure. And now let's head over to Kathy's yard. Hi Kathy.
10: Mike, I was curious, when's the best time to put down crabgrass preventer?
4: <laughs> Before the crabgrass starts growing. I get it. I get it. So basically, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to put a specific calendar date, but if what I do is the ground temperature that triggers the yellow forsythia to bloom, that is when the temperature is, you know, gets pretty much right or just prior to... You know, the germination of all the warm season weeds, which is crabgrass is one of those. So,
10: Okay, another question. Why is grass seed so expensive?
4: <laughs> it is, it's expensive. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I guess because they can get the price. I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I've never known anybody that had a grass seed farm, so I don't know, you know, what's involved in the whole process or anything else. But I agree, it is pretty expensive. Okay, I was just curious. Well, thank you so much for your information. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, And folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Here's some watermelon thoughts. No, watermelon trivia. Watermelons is a member of the cucurbitaceae plant family, which really includes things like cucumbers, squash, pumpkins, muskmelons. Members of this family are... Monicious, meaning they bear separate male and female flowers on the same plant. So that's why you'll see one flower that doesn't do anything. It just drops off. That's the male. The edible part of the watermelon is known as pepo, P-E-P-O, which is ripened ovary fruit with watery flesh and a hard rind. From a usage standpoint, watermelon is consumed as a fruit but still, it is truly classified as a vegetable. So can you believe that? So again, watermelons are in the same family as cucumbers. And so that, that whole family group basically has two different kinds, male and female flowers. So one of them is going to pollinate, the other one isn't. Here's some more watermelon trivia. The first recorded watermelon harvest occurred in Egypt over 5,000 years ago. And here's another one. Because of the great water content of watermelon, early explorers used watermelons as canteens. Now, can you imagine carrying a watermelon around like a canteen? (laughs) you got to be pretty tough. The first cookbook published in the United States in 1796 contains a recipe for pickled watermelon rinds. So there's still some more of them, but uh, we'll take a break and come back after this and uh, take some calls. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. It's time for a good old-fashioned food fight. And what better time than July to have our battle of the barbecue. (laughs)
4: according to the guinness world records the world's heaviest watermelon ever produced weighed 350 and one half pounds and it was grown in tennessee 350 pound watermelon i mean come on jean but it tasted really weird anyway enough of that dennis how are you today fine how
11: you doing
6: very
4: good
11: um, I have a tree at the end of my driveway, and the southern half of the tree is, is fine and healthy. The northern half of the tree, the foliage is smaller and more yellowy in color. What do
4: you think's going on? I think it's just exposure as much as anything. So it's the sun? Exactly. Sun is crucial. I mean, sun is what makes food for the trees. So in other words, nutrients and moisture come up, go to the leaves, and then the leaves produce, you know, food. And then, you know, they're going to produce much more food on the south side because of the exposure. Is there shade on the north side besides just the, you know, the fact it's on the north?
11: A little, but not not that much, Mike.
4: But it's going to still make an impact depending upon what kind of tree it is. But you can notice. It's a hickory. It's a hickory? So, yeah, I mean, nut trees, they want to be out in the, you know, fully open. So even the fact that, you know, the circumstance, how old is a tree just in general?
11: About 40 years.
4: Yeah. So that's another factor, too. So age of the tree, the exposure and everything else, that's what's causing, you know, this particular circumstance.
12: Okay. Okay.
4: So nothing you can do. I mean, if you want to, you can do some deep root feeding in the wintertime after the foliage falls where you auger holes and backfill those holes with compost. But uh, that's not necessarily going to... It's going to make your soil better, but it's not necessarily going to change a a 40-year-old tree. Okay. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, sorry. And now let's go over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi.
10: I have a tree that I planted about six years ago in my front yard, and it was you know, small. It's about 15 foot tall now. <clears throat> and it has these little berries on it that look like blueberries, but they're smaller than that, you know, smaller than a blueberry. And I just, I thought I bought a pear tree. It didn't have, uh, you no, know, a name on it or anything. It was at the end of the season, so I got it cheap. But I just wonder what them berries are. And and if they're
4: poisonous. No, they're not poisonous, but a lot of the flowering pear trees, which were basically used to be the Bradford pears, there's all kinds of, you know, them available, they do produce fruits. And so what you're seeing is just miniature pears, even though they're not they don't look like pears or anything else. So that's what you're experiencing.
10: I I didn't know what kind of tree I bought. I thought I bought a pear tree. You and did then buy I...
4: one, <laughs> but it's a it was a flowering pear tree because I mean you, to get a really fruiting pear tree, you have to know that you were getting that. But this is just a flowering pear tree. I'm assuming white flowers in the springtime, and then they got pollinated this year, and that's why we've got the fruits. Oh, okay, all right. Well, thanks so much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Ferguson and into Linda's yard. Hi, Linda.
10: Hey, Mike. I've got two questions. One is, when is a good time to re-transplant a a peony right now?
4: Uh, The foliage is already starting to turn funky. I'm assuming it's getting powdery mildew and everything else. I wouldn't do it in the heat of the summer, but to wait until mid to late August, early September, I'd do it at that time.
10: Okay. And the other thing is I've got a fig tree, and I've had it for a while, or a fig bush, I guess. And I try to... Wrap it every winter, and it gets, you know, the roots get through. But first of all, do I need to do that? And the other thing is, do I need to trim off those limbs that are shooting out close to the ground?
4: You know, it's really a personal call as far as that goes. Uh I'm assuming you're talking about, you know, the hardy fig outside, correct? Yes. And yes. so, I mean, you can wrap them if you want to. It's not necessarily to do, but... uh yeah, I mean, you can make it basically by getting a lot of the sucker growth off. You can maybe make the tree stronger and, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten any fruit off of it or not.
10: I have one in the year that it was really hot all summer, I had a really good crop.
4: So maybe then gonna, you'll have one. Other a good than that,
10: one. I get a few, you know, I get a few. I have some on there now that are green. Right. But I thought, well, if I trimmed off those lower ones that are coming out, maybe it would shoot more to the production would it
4: yeah I mean, right because sometimes the suckers coming off like that you know sort of like interrupt the the flow of let's say nutrients and moisture right up to the where you want it to go
10: okay all right well that's that's what i want to do because i want to go do that and <laughs> clean it up and then see if i get more right. figs off of it but i've been able to keep it alive so i you know i figure it's doing okay it's just i would like more figs off of it yeah
4: and uh, <laughs> You know, in the hill neighborhood of the city, there's all kinds of figs growing in people's backyards, so... Yeah, I then, feel like
10: walking down and saying, hey, what do you do?
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
10: Give me an idea. Because <laughs> this wrapping, I said, well, I, you know, the thing is, I think, I try to figure if I wrap it, then it'll be have a better start the next year, but a lot of times, even with all my wrapping, it still goes, it gets like all the growth gets frozen down almost to the ground, and right. I've put straw, I've put leaves, I've wrapped it in frost blankets, I've wrapped it in burlap.
4: Yeah, I would say just leave it alone. Okay. Personally.
10: Just start from scratch. (laughs) Exactly.
4: Because nothing looks more weird than something wrapped up in the backyard. It looks
10: like a big snowman.
4: (laughs) Exactly.
10: Okay. Well, thanks
6: a lot.
4: I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right.
6: Bye-bye.
4: And let's head over to Pete's yard now. Hi, Pete. Good morning, Mike. Hi.
6: Hi. Um... We have a problem in our yard. We just had a patio put in, and they sloped it away from the house uh, with the result that uh, the grass in some places is higher than the patio. Um, I had a landscaper come out, and he suggested we put sod down. I'm wondering if this is—I don't think this is a good time of year to, to do that. Do you or—
4: Well, if it's zoysus sod, you could certainly do it in the heat of the summertime. If it's fescue or bluegrass, no. Wait until September or so to do that. But what you can do is get the soil prepared and ready by adding organic matter to your soil, getting it all leveled, getting all the weeds under control before you would lay the sod down. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you much. Yeah, in the heat of the summertime, I know it's not fun to go out and work in the yard, but... uh, Get it ready so when you can get the sod, you can just bring it home, lay it down. Now, why do you're saying that some areas is, the grass was taller than the patio? Yeah, the edge of the yeah. patio. Then how come you're you're adding more sod? I don't know, quite understand.
6: Well, I would want to dig out uh, the areas right near the patio, mm-hmm. dig down, and then put. I, I was thinking putting sod in. Then the grass would be level with the edge of the patio.
4: Well, until the grass starts growing.
6: Uh, well, I was thinking of using the sod, so we wouldn't have to wait for the uh, uh, grass to grow.
4: Oh, so you're just saying it looks really weedy and straggly and everything else?
6: Yeah, and, and it's what what is above the patio is is basically all dirt right now. Okay. Oh, so it washes Whoa. Off, you know, Whoa. Oh.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah,
6: <laughs> yeah. You because better get
4: something on it. Uh,
6: but not uh, the only sod this time of year would be the zoysia.
4: Yeah, it's too. It's pretty darn hot. Blue grasses yeah. and fescues don't like the heat of the summertime. And you know, even if the sod farms, somebody called. The, I think it was last week saying some of the sod farms aren't even you know doing any cutting. Of the fescues and bluegrasses. Now, I'm not saying that's that's universal or anything else, but that was just their comment related to some sod. And Uh so consequently, yeah, cool season, you know, lawn, you know, slash sod, fescues and bluegrasses, do not try to put them down in the heat of the summertime. You're going to be spinning your wheels and wasting money, and you're going to be very disappointed. Uh
6: Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Somebody else suggested monkey grass right next to the patio. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that would uh, work this time of the year? Or?
4: Well, anything that you put down in the heat of the summertime is going to have a difficult time. Now, the liriope, uh-huh. if you're going to actually have it as you know, creating a ground cover, you have to get a very specific you know, variety of liriope unless you just want an, an edger around it. If, if you want one that's going to spread out and become a ground cover, you have to get liriope spicata, S-P-I-C-A-T-A. That's the one that spreads out like rhizomes underneath the ground and creates a solid blanket of liriope. Uh-huh. The other one is liriope muscari. It only grows in a clump, and it doesn't really spread. The clump will get bigger, but it doesn't spread and create ground cover.
6: Okay, I think that that would be the one we might try. Okay. Uh, what was the name of that again,
4: please? The, the clump-growing one? Yeah. It's liriope, L-I-R-I-O-P-E, And then the species is muscari, M-U-S-C-A-R-I. Wow.
6: (laughs) Okay. Um,
4: And there's a variegated one of that, which has yellow streaks on the blades.
6: Oh, yeah. I've seen that, Uh huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll try that. All right. (laughs) Okay. Thank
4: you, Mike. Certainly my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
4: Yes, let's go over to Mrs. Peterson's yard. Hi, Mrs. Peterson. Yes, Mike, Uh, I
10: have two questions. Thanks for taking my call. Um, uh, My neighbor has a yucca plant, Mm -hmm. and uh, she wanted to get rid of it, and she tried to pull it, and she can't get rid of the root. How do you get rid of the root?
4: Basically, the root goes very, very deep because they're so drought tolerant. So, okay. if she's if she dug out the thing for the most part, at least got down, you know, let's say a foot or so of the root okay. out of the ground. If it comes back up, you know, which is going to take a long time to actually happen, then I would say just apply an herbicide to it to kill it off that way. Okay,
10: and thank you. And Matt, second question: On one of my garden books, I, I they were telling me that uh, clay pots against plastic uh, pots, and the plastic pots were better because the clay pots were porous. And I always thought the the clay pots were good because they're more expensive.
4: Well, it just depends upon what you're trying to grow in them. You know, there's nothing wrong with being porous. It's just it means you're going to have to water more often, especially during summertime heat and drought circumstances. That's the only disadvantage. I like how, you know, let's say clay pots terracotta pots look so a lot of times what i do is i plant the plant in a plastic pot and just set that pot down inside the terracotta pot
10: oh good yeah good idea yeah okay all right well thank you very much sure i've been listening to you for years and thanks for your help
4: well thank you thanks for having me on your show for years let's head now to south county into phil's yard hi phil
6: michael hi uh, uh two questions uh, getting an influx of uh, water grass for some reason like, as heavy are ahead. And the second one we had a uh, very large uh, mimosa tree uh, taken out. And how close to that stump can I put a uh, flowering dogwood?
4: Uh, I probably wouldn't get any closer than a couple feet, let's say maybe f- f- five or six feet.
6: Six feet? Okay.
4: Yeah, and that way, and wherever you're planning to plant it, when you start digging down, if you run into mimosa, the reason why I'm saying is because this is a mimosa, so their root systems are pretty gentle gentle and friendly. But, uh, you know, if you dig down and you hit a big root of the mimosa, then move over a little bit. Okay. And what was your other question?
6: Oh, the uh, water grass.
4: Oh, then you're going to have to... Yeah, basically it's it's starting to get – it's really ferocious right now. I've seen some of it in some yards like six or eight inches high. And, it's, I mean, they just mowed their grass you know, a few days ago. But anyway, you have to get a sedge killer. So you have to go to your favorite garden center and tell them oh, you have nut grass yeah. oh, or okay. sedge, and then they'll give you a specific herbicide for killing that. Okay, that's sure. A, that's about the only okay. way to get rid of it.
12: Okay, thank you very much. Sure. Thank you.
4: And now let's go to Murfreesboro, Illinois, and that's where Gene lives. Hi, Gene.
12: Good
9: morning, Mike. Hi. You and the Cardinals are the number one shows on Tamalex. There's <laughs> no question about it. That's the truth. Two <laughs> items. Uh, my Forsythia this spring was is three years old, bloomed beautifully. We just sat and watched it for a couple of weeks. Amazing. Then the spring, summer, it's growing fine. And about two weeks ago, I looked over at it. And every leaf was drooping, like it hadn't had any water in a year. I took some water out, watered it, didn't help it. Now it's dead. Ooh. You have you have any idea what killed it just all of a sudden like that?
4: Maybe too much water. Because if it's drooping and it's a relatively young plant, the droopingness can, in the heat of the day, it's a protective type thing. So maybe it had adequate water and you adding more water, because forsythia do not like water, abundance of water. That's probably what, you know, sort of, and it may not be dead. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, yank it up and throw it away. I'd say just kind of keep your fingers crossed and see what happens next spring.
9: Okay. Well, I was just absolutely devastated because, I mean, it was stunningly beautiful.
4: Right. But, uh, again, wilting wilting foliage in the heat of the day does not necessarily mean that water is, should be added to the plant.
9: Okay. Next Next item, when do you do your last pinching of chrysanthemums?
4: Uh basically you've already done one in June, one in July. I've, I've
9: done I've done I've done three.
4: Okay. So that should be I would maybe do one more if you wanted to. That's gonna make it so they're gonna bloom a little bit later. But no more I like th- that. none after August whatsoever.
9: Okay. Okay. Thank you much. Certainly. My pleasure. On
4: <laughs> and Marie, could you do it kinda quick? Hello? Hello, Marie, could you do it quickly?
2: Yes, I have a crepe myrtle, and it is beautiful. And as beautiful as it is, it's gotten so wide, it's blocking a couple of areas that I don't want blocked. So if I cut that back in the fall, will that risk it blooming in the areas that are cut back?
4: No, not at all. I mean, in the areas that are cut back, you know, you're not going to get any blooms because you've cut off the stems. But that's not a problem. Fall is a good time to fall all the way up until early spring before the new growth you know the new foliage growth starts growing you, That's when you can prune the the crepe myrtles so there's no problem okay. doing that
2: but it will bloom again in the areas that are cut back
4: uh only if there's depends upon the size of the stems that are left so oh. If you cut it back all the way to the ground, you're not going to get any blooms in those areas.
2: Oh, no, no. I'm just wanting on each side of it to take off about three feet.
4: Oh, yeah. You should get blooms off those.
2: Because it's like 15 foot wide.
4: Whoa. Yeah. That's
2: very nice. Oh, it's beautiful. All (laughs) right. Well, thank you very much.
4: Certainly. My pleasure. And I guess we're going to have to wait to take the other calls until after the news. Other things related to watermelons. In Japan, a technique for growing square watermelons has been perfected. There are square watermelons for sale between 75 and 100 US dollars each. Who cares about a square watermelon as you're going to pay 75 to 100 dollars for? Crazy stuff. Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news.
1: KMOX, and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX.
4: Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, which I'll be giving shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes. uh, you know, we were talking about different melons and things like that, mm-hmm. and you, you've grown them. Yes. All right.
5: Yes. And the watermelon, I could never figure out exactly when to pick them. I was told, you know, listen for the hollow. I can't tell the hollow. Uh, <laughs> when the stem dries up, pick it. Eh, that didn't really always right. work. And so it, the watermelons were hit and miss. The cantaloupe were amazing. And the way I would know to pick them, when the ants start eating them, that's when you know they're good. They're Then they're ripe, right off the vine, let's eat them right now. Get the ants off it, oh, you know, unless you want the added it. protein. You're right. But, yeah, uh, when the ants would eat them, that's when you knew they were really good.
4: And so next year you're going to go back and start growing some more melons?
5: I'm probably. I'm thinking about it. This year we did all flowers, and I worked on that garden, and we expanded it, like I've said before. Right. But uh, I may go back next year and and go back to some melons and things like beets and things like that. Yeah, beets. Beets. All right.
4: Mm-hmm. I like beets myself.
5: We had some last night too. They were awesome. Really, They're so good. yes. Wow.
4: Yeah. But here's another little bit of a watermelon oh, okay. trivia. Yeah. There is over 1,200 varieties of watermelons in the world. Really, 1,200 varieties. I mean. I had no idea that was the the situation. They're really
5: splitting hairs to find those all, I
4: think. I mean, have you ever had a yellow watermelon? I don't think so. Yeah, yellow fruit. Yeah. Not very flavorful. No. Not to me. Not to my taste. Mm -hmm. buds. But anyway, I'll let you go back to work. So anyway. Sweet. Thank you. (laughs) Like the watermelon and the cantaloupe. And folks, here's some other things though related to watermelons. China is the first in worldwide watermelon production. And the United States only ranks seventh. So that's kind of amazing. I thought we'd be at the top, but China's way ahead of us, and there's six other countries between China and us. In the United States, there's more than $500 million worth of watermelon commercially grown every year, with Georgia growing the most, and Missouri ranks number seventh in production. So... Just amazing. You can't possibly believe all these different things about watermelon. Oh, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selections, caring for, ups and downs, and all arounds for annuals, your bulbs. Speaking of bulbs, my elephant ears, I've got them in pots, and some of the pots are, in, let's say, on the west side of the house. And they were so, the elephant ears were really bent down, you know, in the heat of the... Day yesterday, and even into the evening, I thought, uh oh, they're really dry. But this morning, they're back up and perked. So that's why, you know, that's a good example of wait until the morning to take a look at, regardless of what kind of plant it is. If it's wilted in the morning, then it definitely needs water. If it's wilted in the evening or during the heat of the day, it doesn't necessarily mean it needs water. It's just conserving water. And I'm not just talking about bulbs, I'm talking about any kind of plant. And how about your edibles, your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but it's offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk, where I come to your home and we can talk about aesthetic problems or problem solving or whatever it happens to be. Today, after the show, I'm headed out to Baldwin. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. And we can schedule a time where I'll come and do a walk and talk in your yard. I'll share 40 plus years of experience. Oh, 40 years. But it's been fun, 40 years. So whether it's... Plant care up and down and all around. Tip of the trial goes as a special recognition for individual or group or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. A tip of the trial just goes out to all the people who have continued to work, even now that the weather is you know entirely changed and it's brutally hot out there. But, I mean, some of the landscapes as I walk through the neighborhood or I drive out to my walk and talk location, I mean, some are just really striking. So, a tip of the trial goes out to all the individuals that are really into the outdoors and are working against, you know, some really kind of adverse conditions like today. Brian was talking about what the humid temp is going to be. And it's a little bit rough and brutal, but uh, thanks because it makes the – whether it's walking or driving – Uh, a lot more enjoyable because you've taken that time and effort. So a tip of the trial goes out to you. And uh, should we take a couple calls? Okay, let's get a call. Let's go to Flo. Hi, Flo. Hi.
7: Yeah, it is Floy. Hi, Mike. Um, My daughter gave me a beautiful hibiscus for Mother's Day, and I have it in a pot. I've gotten some beautiful sort of peachy orange blooms, but a lot of the buds just fall off. There's a line about half an inch from the bud. It's a crease. And can you help me with that, why they break off there? A lot of them do.
4: Basically, it's just it's not vigorous and healthy. So, I Uh mean, we're talking about a tropical houseplant type, correct? Yeah, but I've got it outside. Yeah, that's fine. It's just that it just doesn't have the energy to support. Flowering really stresses plants out a huge amount. So it just doesn't have the energy to support all those flowers, even though it can set the flower buds and start the process. It just doesn't have the energy to push them completely open. What about watering? Doesn't uh, matter. Uh, yeah, don't overwater, but definitely you want to fertilize because they, you know they got to have those nutrients. So just okay, if you, I mean, like probably every three or four weeks, or every two to three weeks, even to with with fertilizing. And I'm assuming you got drainage. You know, holes in the bottom right, of the pot. So, right, yeah. So you're doing okay. everything you possibly can. They don't want to go, you know, get to a dry circumstance, so just watch the inside of the pot. When the potting mix starts shrinking away a little bit and you see a slight gap there, then you can water.
7: Okay, and just enjoy the blooms I get, I guess. Absolutely. Okay, thank you very right. much. Just gorgeous. Bye-bye.
4: Great. Well, thanks. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMox.
4: Yes, I had a listener call I think it was last week and he was you know concerned about he has some white oak trees or a white oak tree and he didn't he couldn't tell from looking at the tree whether his tree had oak wilt or anthracnose. So basically the the best way to do that is to take a look at just the overall health of the tree and with oaks and a lot of the other trees that had the anthracnose here early in the spring because of all the high, you know, high amount of water that we had, they recovered from that pretty good. But if the, like with the oak tree, once you get the oak wilt, um, it's not really a good circumstance whatsoever. And uh, they get it and recovery. Both of them are funguses and both of them you know, cause leaf problems. But you can take a look, look at the leaves. And how the leaves are discoloring, that can tell you if you have, let's say, an oak wilt versus an anthracnose circumstance. And the best thing to do is have a tree service come out, you know, tree line. Can't beat them. But anyway, let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria. How are you doing this morning? Good.
7: Well, I was asking you about two things. The first thing is these knockout roses. They're not blooming at all. I bought me a couple more. And they had a cup on. They ain't doing nothing. Do I need a I bought some uh, knockout rose fertilizer, and I thought maybe if I put those in there, it'd be better.
4: Definitely, roses need to be fed routinely, basically from the very time that the foliage really starts coming out in the springtime. I mean, a little bit after that, but they—they they are plants that need a lot of consistent food.
7: Oh, uh, okay, but. I just bought these two because I had a couple of them that I've just bought these two. Okay. Okay, so you think I should put the knockout rose first glass or what
4: first glass you think I should use? Yeah, it's, use one that's specifically for roses. Okay. Because it's going to have some of the that. micronutrients that other ones don't necessarily have because it prevents okay. some of the problems that potentially roses could get.
7: Okay, about these hydrangeas, I don't understand. They in the shade? Why they're just dying? I'm thinking that maybe they're getting too much sun. Where I got them, or or what can you know about the hydrangeas? What do I need to put in the hydrangeas?
4: So, are you talking about hydrangeas? Yes. And what? I got the. I just bought me some oak hydrangeas.
7: So they they need that.
4: They like shade, but they like an acidic soil too. So get a fertilizer for them. Now, if they've only been in the ground for a couple weeks, don't fertilize them yet. Wait until. You know, maybe not even this year at all. But uh, just let them. You know, keep them moist. Don't let them get too wet. Don't definitely don't let them get go through a drought circumstance. But and hopefully you didn't plant them too close to trees that have that are creating a shade. Don't plant them too close to the tree. Right, because it's too the root systems are too thick and it's too. You know, I mean, it's too aggressive for you know anything to get established in that kind of situation.
7: So I got a tree that's real tall. Can I plant them at the bottom since there
4: is sun going you know yeah not nah, don't I mean they can handle the sun. It's just too close to the trunk. it's like solid wood right there. That's what you have oh. to worry about. So if you start digging down and you start hitting tree roots, then you know
7: but no, I don't put them that close. I got I mean I brought it, brought it out three feet and
4: then I'm planting them. Okay, so if again, just where you're digging, make sure there's not a whole lot of root right there.
7: Uh, okay, okay. Thank you very good, Mike. You're doing a good job.
4: Well, thank you. Thanks, Gloria. Okay. Bye-bye. And now let's go over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim.
2: Hello, Mike. Hey, I'm I'm looking for a Rosa Sharon tree, something that I can plant in the ground that will only get
4: about four to six foot high and will handle Missouri's winters. Any idea Well, basically, Rosa Sharon trees are just Rosa Sharons that have been pruned in the production nursery to have a single trunk versus a whole bunch of stems coming up out of the ground. And as far as, you know, keeping it, finding one that's going to stay that height, I don't, you know, I don't know of any. I don't know of a a hybrid of the Rosa Sharon that's going to stay that low. What
2: about a, uh, is there maybe a specific type of Rosa Sharon bush that would not because I've seen some Rosa Sharon's that are eight, ten, twelve feet tall, oh, right. and I don't want one that tall.
4: Yeah, for the most uh, part. I mean, you can prune to control the height, but for the most part, I don't think there is a dwarf Rosa Sharon. Okay. Of any kind, whether it's tree form or shrub form or anything else.
2: So both the trees and the shrubs will live in Missouri and survive the winter.
4: Oh yeah, they're tough. Okay.
6: Okey dokey.
4: Thank you. Yeah, anything that blooms, uh, you know, in the summertime. You got all the way, you know, from the time they finish flowering until the, and the leaves start falling or falling off, all the way until the new growth begins in the springtime, which would just be leaves to do the pruning to control the height. All right, thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Beth's yard, and she lives in Canton. Hi, Canton. Good <laughs> morning, Mike.
10: Thank you. I have a question about a burning bush uh-huh. that's about 15 years old. And we never know when to trim it, but it never really turns red in the fall. And just wondering what, what is the best way to trim, when, and it is overgrown.
4: Uh, basically, I mean, you're growing them for those two weeks in the fall of the red color. So are, is it in the full sun?
7: Um,
10: yes, so, yeah, pretty so much.
4: Full sun, all day long, every day. So if, if it is not really giving you the red color then that that particular one is just not a good variety i don't want to say variety it's not a good plant for good fall color cuz oh, some okay. of them just don't you know produce like you see the pictures in the catalog you see the pictures yeah, on the tag right. and everything else mm-hmm. but they're not you know they just don't do it so okay. the the parent that that you know that particular one that you have that the, you know let's say the twigs were cut off to make the new plants oh where it wasn't a good plant, so I see. That's why it's not giving you the good color. Okay.
10: When and when should we trim it?
4: It doesn't really matter. You don't want to prune in the heat of the summertime, but okay. you're growing them for fall color, so anytime you know, let's say after, let's say Halloween, all the way up until hmm, probably maybe the first of March or so, you can prune it anytime during that time.
10: Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We so appreciate being able. To hear you on the Garden
4: Hotline (laughs) up
10: here in Northeast Missouri.
4: Well, great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. Sure. Thanks for having me on your show. Now let's Um. head over to Dick's yard. Hi, Dick.
8: Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. I have a marigold problem. When I first put them in, they bloomed gorgeously. There was some rumors and some deer in the neighborhood. Uh Oh something bit them off and it was like they spit them out <laughs> since that time i have not seen one flower
4: how does the foliage look
8: it looks fine
4: yeah so what it is is marigolds you know for them to let's say re let's say i don't want to say readjust but to make you know new flower buds after they've been chopped off like that it's going to take a long, involved process. Are you fertilizing them? Yes. Okay, so you're fertilizing them. The foliage looks good, so it's just going to be a matter of time. There's nothing you can do other than the fact that marigolds are slow to set, you know, set the next set of flower buds.
8: Do you think it'll happen this year?
4: It, <laughs> it's hard to say because how long has it been since you've had of, you know, since whoever ate, you know, ate the flowers off of them.
8: Oh, it's been maybe five or six weeks.
4: Yeah. And you're not seeing any bud formation or anything? No. Yeah. It's the
8: first time I've ever had this happen.
4: Yeah. So, you know, I would say you may get some like in the fall, like when the mums are blooming, but I wouldn't, you know, anticipate any flowers before that because if you're not seeing any sort of formation of the buds, you know, flower buds at all, I would, you know, it's just going to be a roll of dice. Let's put it that way.
8: Okay, so you you don't have a magic formula.
4: <laughs> if I did, I'd be a millionaire and I'd be living on the moon.
8: Oh, okay. Well, good luck getting back home.
4: <laughs> Thanks.
8: Thank you, Mike. Sure.
4: Yeah, as it, also maybe head out to your favorite garden center and get, you know, if they have marigolds there, just go ahead and get some more and plant them around the existing ones that you have, and that way you're going to have some flowers there right now. Let's see, where should we go now? Let's go to North County into Rich's Yard. Hi, Rich. Hi, Mike. Uh,
6: Thank you for your program. I dug out a patch of standard iris, divided them, replanted
11: them. When can I put down preen to keep up
4: or to keep garbage from coming up around them? Uh, You know... Preen, basically what that does is suppress or kill seeds that are germinating. So you don't necessarily want—I wouldn't probably put it down right now in the heat of the summertime, but I would probably maybe next year put it down when the forsythia is in bloom, and then again, you know, let's say— I don't know. Let me ask. The area that you put them in, is it a really weedy area, or was it pretty clean as far as the garden space goes? It had been really weedy, Oh, and then I got in there and pulled them all out. Okay, but you probably got some seeds there, so I would go ahead and put some preen down in mid to late August, and then next year when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Okay, thank you very much, and I enjoy your program. Well, thank you. Yeah, sorry for my sort of hesitation there, but I was a little bit worried about them but, uh, you know, as far as how, what the garden space was. But if you have a history of weeds in that spot, then definitely put you know, down to mid to late August because that's going to get rid of the cool season weeds like henbit and things along that line. So thanks, Rich. Mike Miller, Wash Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
4: Back to watermelon trivia. The world record for watermelon seed spitting is an astounding seventy-five feet two inches, and it was set in nineteen ninety-five in Georgetown, Texas. Now we, you know, as kids, I don't as an adult. Maybe I should just for fun we would spit watermelon seeds and I don't know if we could ever get them over six or seven feet. So that's what was that? 75 feet. Oh my gosh. That seems impossible. Anyway, back to the phones. Let's go to Joe's yard and it's in South County. Hi Joe.
6: Morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. In your opening dialogue this morning, I thought you mentioned you were going to be talking about pollinating cucumbers. I've got cucumber vines with a lot of blooms, and I don't see any pollinators around. So I'm looking for some help on how do you find a male cu- flower for pollinating.
4: Well, basically, the flowers are going to be there. So just look at, you know, look at the flowers and you know run your finger just gently around one of them. And if you get pollen on your finger, then that's going to be the male. The female won't have any pollen.
6: Okay, okay.
4: So that's all you have to do is check that. But, you know, cucumbers, like anybody in that cucumber family, has both male and female flowers, both. And it's still a little bit early, you know, for, you know, let's say cucumber production. Although there are plenty of them that have had, I've been to places or houses that have had the cucumbers growing already pollinated. It's just a matter of time more so than anything else.
6: Well, I haven't been able to get any to grow the last three years. They bloom and never get any uh, pollination on them.
4: Maybe you should take like a Q-tip, you know, and get some of the pollen on the Q-tip and then take it over to the female flower and then, you know, put the pollen on the female flower, on the long, let's say, the stigma.
6: Okay, because I'm desperately in need. I'm going to make some bread and butter pickles. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> okay, thank you so yeah. much. I'll get the Q chips out and see what I can do. Yeah, <laughs>
4: and just you know, get a little bit on it and just dab it on the tip of the female flower. So you're going to know the which is which. Just fool around a little bit till you make sure that you, which ones are going to make the which ones have the pollen. But the pollen's pretty obvious.
6: Okay, well thank you.
4: Yep, and that again will I'm be the meal. And now let's go to Bill's yard in O'Fallon. Hi, Bill.
12: Uh, hello, Mike. Hi. Hey, uh, good program as always. Uh, just a couple quick questions. Um, <clears throat> my wife has asked, and so she's listening too, uh, when can we trim back the irises? When can we cut the foliage of the iris back?
4: Uh, I would probably wait for another couple, a week or so. But after that, unless they're starting to turn yellow, once they start to turn yellow, then you can cut them back at that time.
12: Okay, second question. Um, I'm looking for things to plant uh, the last half of the growing season. Now, I, I did put out some Romano Aroma bush beans, and they're only 55 days. And I've, I've had them before, and I like them, so I thought I'd try them again. And, but do you have any suggestions on what other kind of things uh, can, um, in our climate around here, uh, be profitable
4: to plant as a second planting? profitable as far as just eating and things like that yes yeah oh yes always you know any kind of the lettuce family all that whole group those type things a lot of the herbs can be planted so that's probably what i'd take a look at to grow from seed
12: all right just last thing was last comment uh only in texas could somebody spit a seed 75 feet (laughs) i don't know the guy was standing on a three-story building for what when he did that
4: (laughs) that seems impossible It does. I don't, you know, Georgetown, Texas. I don't have any idea where that is. Maybe those people are, who knows, got big lips.
12: (laughs) Okay.
4: You have a good day. Yep. And now let's go to Dee's yard. Hi, Dee. Hello. How are you, Mike? Good.
0: I have a question. I had a yucca bush in a pot. And I noticed early on in the spring that it looked like it was dying, and I kept clipping off the dead leaves. And now I have about 10 or 12 really ones that are about 6 inches tall. Right. Can I replant them now, or do I need to wait? Or They're very crowded in this particular pot that I had it in.
4: I would just leave them alone until the weather cools down. Because because okay. w- basically you're gonna t- you're gonna divide those young ones off the m- the stem of the mother plant, and so consequently, okay. you know, to do it in the heat, even though they're very drought tolerant and everything else, I would say just to the advantage of the plant, I'd wait until mid to late August if I was going to do it, or into September. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Enjoy sure. your show. Well, thank you. Yeah, yuccas. Uh, that's what exactly happens. Basically, drop the lower or kill off the lower leaves, and then the sucker growth, the new plants, will come off the uh, the stem of the mother. Let's go now over to Ron's yard. Hi, Ron.
11: Yes, uh, Mike. Uh, since you were talking about watermelons, I was wondering if you were familiar with the Black Diamond watermelon. I
4: I've seen it. You know. Yeah,
11: they they they're seedless and they're they're round like a bowling ball and larger than a bowling ball and really a dark green almost a black and they have a sweeter taste and they're they they're more meaty than the conventional watermelon and they have a good taste and but they're a little more expensive than a regular watermelon but uh i know deerbergs handles it uh, i'm not sure about the other grocery stores but it's a it's i'm not that fond of watermelon particularly but that one seems to have a real good taste to it
4: well good i'll take a look you know, and we'll give it a try because okay, I mean, Mike. I like I like them. They're okay, but sometimes they're just kind of just watery, and they don't have a whole lot of taste. So I'll give this is called exactly. black diamond. And this
11: one is it's more it's more meaty, like I said, and they're not so watery.
4: Good, sounds perfect.
11: At least the ones I ha- I had tried. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mike.
4: Well, thank you. Thanks for mm-hmm. the insight. Hi. Right. And that's going to Liz's yard, and she lives in South City. Hi, Mike. Hi,
0: Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I really enjoy your show. Um, what I was calling about is I have a a little bit of a raised garden. I cucumbers, tomatoes, sweet peppers, and green peppers. But what I um, I also plant or had planted in the past, and it draws the bees in. I put it right by right by my garden, right next to it. it it's a catnip. It grows. It it'll grow and grow and come back every year. Right, but. The bees love it, and then they're, they're right there. They go right over to the cucumbers and stuff too.
6: That's perfect.
0: To, yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw that out because someone gave me a cutting, and and it's 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 really spreads right.
4: <laughs> and they kind of is doesn't this have kind of a grayish foliage, gray green foliage with kind uh, yeah, of yeah, pe-
0: it's, it's it's green, but then it gets some little flowers on the top,
4: right, which like are bluish.
0: Pink or, so, yeah, more right. bluish, dark purple, something like that. Right. And then, um, but I'm telling you, I have bees galore, and they don't bother you. You yeah. know the bees; they're they're busy trying to get what they got to get. But then they're right by my cucumbers and everything.
4: That's perfect. So it,
0: it helps a lot. So I just want to throw that out.
4: Well, great. Well, thanks.
0: Okay, Jerry. Show.
4: Yeah, those kind of little tips, I it can make a big difference as long as people yeah. you know know that these are spreaders, are perennials, and uh, but attracting the bees. That's, I mean, exactly what you want to have happen. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
4: Yes, folks, we got a couple lines open. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Kevin's yard. Hi, Kevin.
9: Hi there. Hi. I, I have got a problem with the water grass or or nut grass mm-hmm. and that's uh every year I've been spraying it top you know just with a hand hand sprayer try and uh trying to pull it by hand and it it just I just can't seem to get rid of it. I didn't know if there's a better way to do something before it before it comes up or if you have any ideas.
4: No, there's really not. I mean, the best thing to do is watch it and as soon as it comes up, spray it at that time. If you wait till later on in the season they get a cuticle kind of a waxy surface that prevents the herbicide from being absorbed into it. So just watch it closely early on and go after it as soon as you start seeing it.
9: Does does pulling it does that does it just come right back
4: or do you know or well the problem with pulling it is if it's a mature piece, a clump You know the triangular stem. When you pull it, you'll see the white roots. But if it's a an older one, it could have at the end of each root a seed. So consequently, you pull out this plant, but it could have released four or five or six seeds into that spot where you pulled it out of.
9: Yeah, it's frustrating because it just doesn't seem like a way to get rid of it. Yeah, it's. I've been trying for.
4: Yeah, I mean uh, it's it's a tough you know it's a tough it's kind of like violets it's a really tough weed to get rid of, but using you know a, an herbicide specifically for killing you know the nutgrass, nut sedge, whatever you want to call it, that's the only way to go in early as possible.
9: Right.
6: Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Thank you. Sure.
4: And now let's see where should we go? Let's go over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hi. Good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Sure. I-
12: I recently did some regrading in my backyard uh, with the anticipation of of getting some St. Louis compost for about two inches and then some sod on top of that. Mm -hmm. And the question is, my regrade left me with nothing but a hard-packed clay and rock surface that I have right now. And I'm just wondering, is there something I can put on there before I bring in the topsoil side to soften that up or to make it more um, uh, um, amenable?
4: Well, you're going to have to get the, you know, the compost or topsoil compost mix from St. Louis Compost, and mix it, blend it with the existing soil. You can't just have that your existing soil and then layer some com- St. Louis composting stuff on top of it and then grow sod on that. That's not how you got to do it. You have to mix it and blend it in with the existing soil.
12: And the existing soil being clay and rock. Exactly. That's, that's, right. That's, that's a tough challenge. Okay. Yes. So very much. Easy. Okay, and there's no chemical or um, any kind of um, neutralizing, nothing that'll soften the clay, is there? No. (laughs) (laughs) Other than a shovel or a... Right,
4: so physically, that's the only way to break it up, and then not just physically, because if you just, let's say, churn the existing soil without adding something to it, it's just going to melt back down to be the same stuff.
12: Gotcha. And about how much um, uh, topsoil altogether do I need for a healthy lawn that doesn't need water all the time?
4: Uh, to, you know, are you talking cool season lawns? Um, uh, yes. So, but. really, uh, probably let's say two to three inches blended in with the existing soil, and then okay. not only that, that's just to get the you know the sod laid down or whatever to get it going. But then in the future, core aeration with a top dressing of, you know, compost, you know, on every other year basis. So it's not just a one process is going to make it so everything's going to go good for a long period of time. That's not how it works here.
12: Gotcha. And the other thing is I was going to use the 70-30 because I am trying to get some soil base rather than the 50-50 composition from compost. What did you think of that?
4: That's probably okay.
12: Okay. Well, thank you so much, and I love your show.
4: Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Waterloo and into Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Hey, Mike. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller.
11: i had a problem with uh, uh, dogwoods. I'm trying to get a dogwood tree to grow, and when I bought it, the label on it said at least six hours of sunlight per day. So I've got it in a spot where it's getting eight to ten hours, but it's, it's not thriving at all. I'm uh, just wondering what your thoughts are on that.
4: Uh, It doesn't necessarily need six hours of sun. I don't know why that would say that on the tag. But uh, just, I mean, if it's a, you planted it this year, correct? Uh, Correct. It's been in the ground maybe two months. Uh, Yeah. I mean, this has just been a very, very difficult because two months ago is when we were still having all the rains and everything else. And now we're having extreme rains and then, you know, dry extended periods. So, a newly, and hopefully you planted it, or you dug the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. And it's just going to be a slow, long, involved process. Okay.
11: Um, Is there anything I can do as far as fertilizing it at this point?
4: No. Not when it's been recently planted like that. Fertilizer could actually do more damage than good. Okay. Okay.
11: All right, then. Well, thank you very much. And how do I get a hold of you to come out and take a look at a, a parcel of my yard?
4: Uh, just go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the home page, there's my email address and phone number. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Hi. How are
11: you doing, Mike? Good. Um, I, just have a, I just have a question about a, a Japanese maple. Uh, We planted this about 10 years ago, and initially it was the typical dark, uh, uh, reddish-colored leaves. And for the last probably like six years, uh, only part of the tree is that color, and the rest of it that has grown up is just green in the leaf color.
4: Uh, Maybe soil pH. So your soil may be a little bit alkaline, and that may be part of the problem. Also, it may be just not a very good cutting, and the cutting, you know, just wasn't tough and durable enough. So did it have a specific variety name to it, like blood good or something along that line?
11: Honestly, I don't have a clue.
4: Okay. So it may be the soil pH, but there may not be anything that's going to make that much difference.
11: Okay. So try some... uh... Uh, either having a soil test done, or right. uh, just add some sort of an acidic uh, additive gradually, and see if it makes any difference. Right, over the exactly.
4: Years. So that would be something like iron sulfate.
11: Okay. All right. Well, I can't hurt. It's mainly just a planting bed, um, so I'll just kind of do that in the area of these Japanese maples gradually, and then just see if it you know shows any improvement over the years.
4: Yeah, exactly. That's all you can really do. All right, well, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Hmm. Now, Carol, could you do it really, really quickly? Yes,
0: I have a three-year-old raspberry bushes that they only set uh, berries, and then they don't do anything. What am I doing wrong?
4: They're just young. So it may take a couple more years for them to get mature enough to be able to produce full-size raspberries.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, should I be cutting the canes back because they're so healthy growing all over the place, or when do I trim them back?
4: Basically, what you do is at maybe at three years, just go out there and cut out the largest in diameter at ground level. Cut out those canes, you know, just a few every year.
0: Okay. All right. Should I be fertilizing them at all? Absolutely.
4: Fertilizing you... and, you know, do, do a top dressing too with like a, okay. you know, a compost type thing. All right, I will. Thank all right. you. Yep, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the last call of the day. So uh, one thing, all these lightning strikes, that lightning storm last Tuesday, we had some lightning strikes over our house. I mean, <laughs> literally, I don't usually jump when there's lightning strikes, but one of these was so loud. But guess what?
3: Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. See you next week.